0: Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and grab a seat. and As you do, you can find a copy of God's Word. Uh, We're going to turn to uh, Scripture now and uh, hear from God in in His Word. Uh, My name is Dave. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, um, I'm one of the pastors here and and, uh, looking forward to opening up God's Word together and studying it together. And um, I uh, was thankful uh, for Pastor Jeff for preaching the last uh, two weeks and being able to give me a chance to um, both take a break and then a couple trips. I shared a little bit about that last last week. And always, um, it's always good uh, to uh, to be able to kind of catch your breath and and pause. And I'm I'm so encouraged and excited about this season ahead. And I'm excited about jumping back into the Book of John. Um, if you are just joining with us, and uh, maybe you've been joining with us. And over the last like two months, we've kind of taken a break from it. But back in the fall, we actually started um, a year long walk through the Gospel of John. And uh, the Gospel of John was written by one of Jesus' closest earthly friends, and uh, it has this very personal aspect to it. Uh, But John uh, wrote with a very specific purpose. Uh, He wrote everything that he wrote, everything that he recorded. It says that many more things could have been written down. Many more things could have been shared, but the things that he shared, he shared so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing that he is the Christ, that he is the Savior that he is the Messiah, that you would find life in His name, and so we've titled the series "Life in His Name," and uh, and so we took a little break for Advent, and then uh, we took the first part of the year, just kind of reminding ourselves, kind of recommitting to who we are as a church, what God has called us to be in His Word. Now we're returning back to the Gospel of John, and uh, Pastor Jeff uh, brought us back into it last week in Chapter Seven. So, if you are just joining us, you weren't a part of um, the the here, like being a part of John in the fall. That's okay. There's plenty. That still catch up on and, and be a part of. Um, we still got like two-thirds left of the book to go through, um, and um, well, I wanted to mention that if you don't yet have one, we have extra John journals, and so if you would like a scripture journal, they're um, in the back. They're just a, a place that, or it's scripture on one side, kind of blank page on the other. It's a great way to, uh, to to be able to keep take some notes and follow along with where we're at. It's in the version of the um, uh, passage that we're using, which is the English Standard Version, And so that's kind of helpful to be able to follow the exact words of what we're looking at. But those are available at the uh, Connection Center. You can take one of those um, for free. We'd love to have you uh, use that. Uh, but this morning, we want to, um, uh, we're going to look at the passage, and it's going to kind of ask us a question this morning. And maybe as a parent, um, uh, I've, I've asked this question, maybe you've asked this question of, of uh, others in your life, um, maybe if you are a parent of your, of your children, if you've got a pet, maybe you've asked that of your pet at times. Um, but that is the question, like sometimes my, my kids will do something kind of crazy, and we kind of ask the question, we're like, uh, you know, what are we going to do with you? Have you ever asked that kind of question? Like, what are we going to do with you? And, and kind of the idea is like, you know, like, oh man, like, this is like, what, what's, like, uh, we're just trying to get, get our hands around what's going on in the situation right now. Um, even this morning, as I was getting ready to go, like, our, our dog, we have a little um, kava poo, and she is um, very sweet, um, but very affectionate. And she was sitting next to me as I was kind of, you know, going over some notes and kind of getting ready for this morning. And then um, our oldest daughter walked up, and she, like, kind of looked at her and just sort of flipped over on her back and just kind of like was like pet me you know like just laying there just like begging for and like what are we going to do with you Zoe like what what is this like what what are we what are we going to do See now, sometimes I think we can ask that question in, like, you know, with, with kids, or sometimes you know, your friend, like, what am I going to do with you? Like, what's what's going on? Maybe as an employer, you've had to ask that of an employee, what am I going to do with you? Right? Um, the situation, certain like, what am I going to do with this? Um, there is kind of this question that I think is being asked in chapter seven. All of chapter seven happens at this festival. It's called the Festival of Tabernacles or the Festival of Booths, <laughs> as it is recorded here. But John chapter seven has for us this festival, and there's. Kind kind of this major overarching question that, that the people are sort of asking of this guy Jesus. Jesus has kind of so shown up a little bit on the public scene. Uh, a couple chapters earlier in chapter five, we looked at this back in the fall, but he healed a man on Sabbath. It was a paralytic man. He healed him, told him to take up his bed, walk, and, and this sort of started a bit of a controversy around Jesus. And, and people were trying to figure out what to do with him, because by now they've heard some of his teaching. They've seen some of his miracles. They've witnessed his life and the things that he's doing. But they're kind of asking this question, okay, Jesus, what are we going to do with you? Because some of these claims you're making, this isn't just a claim of, of a normal person. This is, this is, he was claiming to be God. He was claiming a, an authoritative teaching. He was doing things that people can't do. And so, Jesus, what are we going to do with you? And that's kind of the whole thing. Chapter 7, if I was to give it a title, it's like, what are we going to do with Jesus? It's kind of the idea. And that's the title of the sermon this morning, is what are we going to do with Jesus? What to do with Jesus? And that's still a question I think that we need to wrestle with today, that many are asking today. Even if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you've made the decision that you want to follow after Jesus, I think there still comes times and situations, what are we going to do with Jesus? How are we going to reconcile what he's saying here with this kind of circumstance that I'm walking through now or, or what am I going to do with, with this in, in light of what Jesus said here? What are we going to do with Jesus? And so that's kind of the question that I want to ask this morning as we approach the passage, and we're going to look at a bunch of verses. We're going to move quickly through them. We're, we're looking at uh, starting in verse 14 through the end of the chapter. There's a lot of verses. For that reason, I like to put the scripture on the screen so you can follow along. But it was kind of too many to get up there today. So what I would encourage you to do is have your Bible open on your lap, be looking at it, following along together. If you don't have a copy of scripture, there's one underneath one of the seats in front of you. Um, you can use that. If you don't have a copy and you want to take that home with you, you can, but I would love for you to have it on your lap, following along, looking at it so that we can see it together. And we're going to look at and hear from uh, God together as we answer this question, What are we going to do uh, with Jesus? Well, let's go ahead and, and look at, um, look at this passage together. Why don't we jump right into it in verse 14. Let's just read the first part here uh, together. It says this, "About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple to begin teaching. Let me just kind of pause there if I can. I'm going to pause a couple of times just to kind of make sure we understand what's going on. This makes sense if you were here last week. Again, uh, the passage we looked at last week, this is the Feast of Booths. It was an autumn festival. It was one of three festivals that required all Jewish males to come to Jerusalem. If you lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem, you were expected to be there and so when the, uh, his brothers, Jesus' brothers were going up, they said, hey, now would be a great time. This is a public festival. Now would be a great time. Why don't you come and do some of those amazing things you know, that you've been doing here in the rural area of, of, uh, uh, of Galilee? He's like, why don't we go to the big city big festival, this would be a great time to kind of go public with it. And Jesus is like, no, no this is not my time. I'm, I'm not doing it now, I'm not coming up now. And so uh, he hangs back and the other brothers go and then he privately sort of goes up, quietly attends the feast. Well, now it's the middle of the feast. It was a seven-day feast. So middle, it's been a few days. So the middle of the feast, he now begins to go to the temple and he starts to teach. So now he's kind of making this public Appearance. We're going to kind of come back to that in a second. But let's keep going. Verse 15. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? It's like he's never had a rabbi. He's never been to rabbinical school or something. Like, where is he getting this information? How is he teaching with such authority is what they're asking there. Jesus answered them, My teaching is not my own. It's not mine, but it's his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. What he's saying here is he's like, oftentimes what you hear, he's kind of calling out some of the rabbis, some of the teachers of the day. He said, oftentimes the teaching that they're giving you is teaching that is seeking after their own glory. He's like, what you're hearing or what you're responding to is this is a unique teaching because I'm not here to seek any glory of my own. I'm here to say and communicate, to do exactly what the Father has told me to do. And so I'm teaching with his authority. That's why it appears different. Well, then he kind of goes back to what, what had become the central issue of him healing on the Sabbath and asking this man to stand up and walk on the Sabbath. Verse 19, he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet, none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Some clearly didn't know. They're kind of calling him crazy there, is is basically what's what's going on. They're like, you're out of your mind. Who's trying to kill you? And there there were. At this point, there were people that wanted to kill him. Some of the leaders wanted to kill him. Jesus answered them, I did one work, and you all marveled at it. That was the healing of the paralytic man. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers. He's kind of reminding them that ultimately circumcision was given to Abraham, his forefather. It was Moses who was a part of giving the law and wrote it into the law. But it's like it didn't come from Moses, it came from his fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. He's sort of pointing out an inconsistency. He says, you believe in circumcision, that is on the eighth day that you take the males that were born and you circumcise them. If that happens to fall, that eighth day happens to fall on the Sabbath, it's like, which law do you follow? That we don't do any work or do we circumcise? And they said that the circumcision is superior, it kind of takes precedence. So you're not breaking the Sabbath by following that, but there's a hierarchy in the laws, and Jesus is trying to make the same point. He's like, if on a Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me that on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You see, circumcision was thought to was 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 recognized, and was thought to be. It was something that was, um, it was it was bringing in line. Uh, a boy who was born in line with what God had intended for the the Jewish people. It was something that had been commanded for them. And so there was this sort of restoring or healing that was seen in doing that. And it was this partial thing. And so what Jesus is saying, he's comparing, he's like, listen, if you see that it is okay for a baby boy to be circumcised on the eighth day, then how much more so can I heal the entire body of a man on Sabbath to make this man who has been paralyzed since birth walk again, to take up his mat, to, to give him new purpose. And, and ultimately, it was, there was a spiritual work that was going on. He's like, don't you recognize? He's like, that is so much more important than the Sabbath law. In fact, that's where this hierarchy of laws comes in. And what Jesus is showing here is this, this handling of the law that was, again, unlike the teachers or the rabbis of the day, he was doing so with authority, with authority, And again, we kind of come to this question of what are we going to do with Jesus? That's what they're asking. So there was like this division that happened. Look at the next verse. It says, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man who they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they're saying nothing about it. Can it be that the authorities really know this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. There's all this division that kind of comes about as a result. And so here's the first thing that I think we need to do with Jesus one of the things that, that, that is required of us that scripture would, would uh, direct us toward that, that, that the things that Jesus said uh, would lead us to respond to, it's this. The first is that we need to recognize the truth of who Jesus is. We need to recognize the truth of who Jesus is. And that's what the people were trying to figure out here is like, who is this Jesus, right? Is this the Christ? Christ was another word for Messiah. Is this the Messiah? Is this the one that we're looking for? But notice, all of this, I think, centers around verse 24. What's happening here is they're not judging correctly. Do you see it? He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He's like, you are looking at circumstantial, sort of physical evidence, trying to figure out who I am and what I'm doing, and you're missing it. And so already, he sort of corrects. Like, one of the questions, I think there's a few things that we need to recognize about Jesus there's kind of three things I think that we're going to see. The first we've already seen is we need to recognize his authority. We need to recognize his authority. And what they were saying is, where does your authority come from? What, what rabbi did you study under? It's kind of like today, like, hey, someone applies for a job and it's like, well, where's, where's your degree? What degree do you have? And you can kind of make the determination, is that a reputable school? Right? Is that a degree that, that carries with it the requirements or sort of pedigree that's needed for the job? Or what sort of experience do you have? Right? There's some things that we kind of would look at if you're applying or interviewing for a job that would sort of give you the authority that you need to be able to step into that position. The same question is being asked of Jesus, where did you learn from? Right? Where did you learn and he's like, I didn't learn this from anybody. I, I'm speaking that of whom the one who sent me, it's not my own authority, but it's the authority of my father. It's from God himself. I'm seeking to do him, to do what he has called me to do, to do what he has said, to do his work. And so he's coming with authority. Ultimately, it's the authority from heaven or from God himself, right? Right? That's what we need to recognize and see. Let's continue on. Verse 28, it says, so Jesus proclaimed. They're asking, "You know, well, we would know where the Christ comes from, but Jesus answers him. He says, as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him who you do not know, I know him, for I come from him and he sent me. What's he saying? He's like, well, you think I come from Galilee, sort of rural town. Small town, Jerusalem, nothing good comes out of, there wasn't anything kind of special about Galilee. Um, furthermore, he's from Nazareth, which was even worse. You know, it's like, who are you? Like, where do you come from? How, who, do you th- who makes you this? And that's the other thing that I think we need to recognize about Jesus, that they were missing is his origin. You see, if we just think of Jesus as being a physical person who lived in history, which he did, Right, by all accounts, I mean we have every I don't think many people today will doubt that Jesus really existed. I don't think there's many people that can make that claim. You have to sort of disregard all evidence. I mean, there's so there's more evidence that Jesus lived than George Washington, right? Like I don't think anyone's questioning did George Washington live? But yet, like there's more things that have been written, more recorded things, more like all I mean, the amount of 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 impact that Jesus has had. So I think you you nobody's questioning did Jesus actually walk this planet, but I think we're at, well, where did he come from? Because if he was just a guy that was born to some parents and lived in rural town Israel and did some things and, and spoke some things and, and sort of left this mark, then, then that kind of has a different impact. Yet what Jesus is claiming here is his origin is different from all. He's like, you think you know where you came from, but you don't. Where did he come from? He came from heaven. He stepped down from heaven. He was sent by God the moment before he was held in the arms or uh, depending on how you kind of think about that, but like that process, I mean, he, he, at one point, he was over and above all the heavens, holding, suspending all of it in his hand, and the next moment, he was in the form of a baby on this planet. I mean, that happened in time. That, that there, was, there was this change, and so he came from the Lord, He came from heaven, and he's saying, listen, you don't understand. You you think you know where I came from. You think you know my story, but you don't. And this is where the official arrest warrant was issued. Look at verse 30. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid on him a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Uh, There's some supernatural things at work. God was saving him for the time when his work would be done. But it says, many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Some are starting to believe. Again, you see the division. Some want to see him killed. Others want to follow him as the Christ. Let's continue. Let's look at this third, third thing that I think we need to recognize about Jesus here. Is It says, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Now, you just have to understand, the chief priests and the Pharisees um, do not get along about a whole lot of things. These are kind of opposing groups, okay? This is like kind of opposing political parties, if you will. They didn't team up for much. It would be like the Republicans and the Democrats getting together on something. What? Like, that doesn't happen, okay? So, like, I know we don't see that, but when you see this, like the chief priests and the Pharisees are both going after Jesus, like they have a mutual enemy, right? Like, and that's sometimes what, what it takes, this mutual enemy. They're coming together. And Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer than I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am. Uh, where I am. You cannot come. And the Jews said to another, they're like, okay, where's this guy going? Trying to figure it out. Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? He's like, basically, is he getting out of town, right? Is he leaving Israel? Is he going to one of the Gentile nations and he's gonna go minister to, uh, to, to, to both the Gentiles and those Jews who are still dispersed who haven't come home yet? Is that where he's going? Notice what he says. He says, what does he mean when you will seek me and you will not find me? Where I am, you cannot come. Where was Jesus going? Well, when his work was over, he came with a specific agenda to do. They didn't understand. This is what we have to recognize, that he came with an agenda and his destination, again, was heaven. So where was his authority? It was from heaven. Where was his origin? It was from heaven. What was his agenda? It was to bring heaven to earth. It was to bring God's kingdom down. And when that was over, he was going to return back to his father. That's where they were going, where he would not be found. And so if we could, I'd love for us to just sort of, again, ask the question, what are we gonna do with Jesus? What we see here is that people were looking at him with all sorts of physical uh, Physical judgment, right? He says, you judge by the appearance, what you see. And I think today, the same thing happens for us today. We approach Jesus a lot of times in a very physical sort of sense. Like, how is Jesus impacting my today? How is he impacting this situation right now? How is he impacting my physical well-being? How is he impacting my mind? And he does do all of that for sure. There is impact that Jesus has on all of those things, But the thing that was missing, that the people were missing here is that Jesus came as the spiritual savior first and foremost. And the physical was going to fall in line and was gonna come with it. Jesus was a physical or was a spiritual Messiah. They were looking for a physical Messiah. They wanted someone to overthrow Rome, to lead the people, to establish a new world power. Like they wanted all of that. That's what they wanted. And I wonder sometimes, do we make the same mistake? Do we fail to recognize what Jesus has done, what he is doing, what he wants to do in our lives now, and do we sort of shortchange all the things that God is trying to do? I mean, some of us, when we talk about, say, you know, Jesus being the source and, and, and place of our peace, like, yeah, yeah, but what about this? No, no, did you miss it? Like, like you could have real, genuine peace filling peace in your life because of what Jesus has done, that he satisfies the wrath of God through his accomplished work on the cross, that he fills you with his spirit, that he can breathe life into you, that he can give you purpose and it can lead you toward peace, that that this is something far beyond the physical things that we may be stopping at. See, I think we need to sort of step back and just kind of ask the question is, are we recognizing Jesus for how he has made himself known for who he truly is? We need to recognize who Jesus is. You know what, I think I, uh, um, I don't know if I gave you the big idea, but um, now's as good a time as any Here's what we're seeing in all of these things is this, is that there's a direct correlation to our response to Jesus and our experience of life in his name. In other words, our response to Jesus is the key to experiencing life in his name. You see, the life that Jesus came to bring was being missed by the crowd, by the leaders, by even his brothers, because they were failing to recognize who Jesus is. When we recognize, when we judge Jesus rightly, That is the beginning. That is the key to experiencing the life that he came to bring. And so we see this. This first step is that we recognize the truth of who Jesus is. That's what we do with Jesus. Can I give you the second one? Let me give it to you and then I'll show it to you in God's word. The second thing that we do with Jesus is this, is that we receive the satisfaction that Jesus offers. We receive the satisfaction that he offers. I love these next couple verses, but we got to put ourselves there to really grasp how, um, how incredible it was what Jesus says here. It says on the last, in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. All right, I told you it was a seven-day feast. Uh, they uh, actually, in sort of the intertestamental time, uh, the time before the New Testament was written, before Jesus came, they actually added like kind of an eighth day onto it. It was this, this kind of Sabbath day to it. But there was all these, these celebrations and things that celebrate. It was a very celebratory festival. Uh, what the people would do is they would come to Jerusalem. They would construct little booths, okay, uh, little, little tents. So it was like camping out in Jerusalem for a week. Right? They would put up like, these little makeshift structures. They would have thin walls. They would have sort of half roofs. They wanted to be able to see the stars, to be able to have the light come in. The idea was is they were remembering the way that God was faithful to the people of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness. That's what they're celebrating. For a week, they're thinking about God's faithfulness to it. The timing of it was right after harvest, and so the harvest had come in, and so they were celebrating and thanking and praising God for his provision for them. And so there's all these symbols and all these pictures of, of the provision of God. One of the other things that was added to the ceremony through, uh, through the Mishnah, through the teaching of the, uh, uh, the rabbis, was the time before Jesus, they added a couple of, of, of ceremonies to this festival. One of them was called this water rite. Another one was this festival of, of lights that they would have. But the water rite would be where the, the priest would take a golden pitcher, and they would start up on the Temple Mount. They would walk down all the way to the Pool of Siloam. They would fill the pitcher up. And as they're filling that pitcher up, they would, all the people, all the men, would say um, the words of Isaiah 12, "...with joy you draw water from the wells of salvation." with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they're drawing up this water and they would walk the water up, the pitcher of water up, and in the hands of all of the men was, would be like this set of reeds that was kind of symbolizing God's faithfulness. And then on the other hand was this citrus and, and they would all sort of wave this about and they would dump the water onto the altar and give this shout of praise. And, and all of this was sort of happening. And what are they doing? They're looking at, again, the provision of God in the wilderness. He gave Gave them water. He he satisfied their thirst. They were wandering in the desert, and God gave them this water. And so they were remembering the way that God had provided and celebrating that together. And so they would do this each and every day of the feast. So day one, water, water, water. Right. Day two, water. Right. Day three. On the seventh day, they would actually do this very thing seven times. Seven times, they're walking this water up and they're dumping it in this kind of picture of the provision and the satisfaction that comes through this. Are you getting the picture? Do you have it in your mind? So this is why it's so important to read God's word in the context of what it says because why did John point out the timing of what Jesus just said? Look back at your passage. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. What did he say? What did he say? He wasn't invited to do this. What did he say though? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is like, well, wow, this whole picture of the water being poured on the altar is happening. He breaks into it and says, "Like you are looking for God's provision of satisfaction. I wanna tell you where it's found. It's found in me. You see, there's so much symbolism going on with the whole way that Jesus is handling this festival. I think it's the whole reason he didn't come up at first and and sort of display himself publicly is is they're looking for and thanking God for his provision, for his faithfulness, for his, his taking care of them. And what is the way that God is primarily providing, primarily taking care of them? Is it not through the person of Jesus Christ? So here they're in the middle of celebrating this and then Jesus shows up onto the scene and he's like, I'm here, right? Like, God has given you the provision that you are seeking. He's, he's, he's given you this. He's given you me. And notice what Jesus says, if anyone thirsts. It's an invitation. He says, if you're thirsty, and who isn't thirsty? Right? He's not just talking about a physical thirst. He's talking about a spiritual thirst. We looked at this a little bit in chapter four when we looked at the encounter with the woman at the well. But that woman was going to draw water, and he uses this, Jesus uses this picture of of her thirst to kind of get at her spiritual needs. And and he's there in front of this people, and he's like, If anyone thirsts, who there does not have spiritual needs? Who there is not lonely or tired or confused or hurting or fill in the blank? He's like, If anyone thirsts, what should he do? He should come to me and drink. Listen, if you're thirsty, I have the satisfaction that you are looking for. How do we receive the satisfaction? How do we experience this? It says, Whoever believes in me will receive this flowing river of living water. I love that. I mean, we sang that line this morning already. Did you catch it at the end of that song that we sang? Same God. It says, Holy Spirit, come and fill me again. Let your river flow, like fill me with your spirit again. What is this living water? What is it that he's talking about? Well, we get a little commentary here from John. Verse 39 is John's comment on it. It says, now he said this. He said it about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What does it mean that the spirit had not been given? I mean the spirit wasn't at work, that he wasn't doing things? No, it's not that. But you have to understand that before Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit was not given in the same way. If you read your Old Testament, which I know many of us are, keep going. We're in the fun part of of the Old Testament. Just keep going, all right? I'm going to encourage you with that. Just keep going. It's good for you. It's edifying you. Trust the Lord in that. But we're reading through the Old Testament together, and what you see in the Old Testament is you see that the Spirit came upon People at a certain time for a certain purpose. So, David, this is the Spirit came upon him. Samson, the Spirit came upon him. Elijah, the Spirit came upon him. He, the Spirit would come and it would come upon and it would lead and kind of provide in a specific way and in a specific time for a specific purpose. But that's, changes, that changes, what we see is a little different is after Jesus is glorified, it says that all who believe in his name receive the Spirit of the Lord the Holy Spirit indwells, that he comes into, that he fills all who would follow after Jesus, who have received that free gift of life, that one of the things that comes along with that is the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. And so what he's saying here is, he says, look, if you, are, if you need satisfaction, if you're thirsty, come to me and the Spirit will be given to you. He's saying what is yet to come. And that's exactly what we saw at Pentecost as it was poured out on the Jews We see it poured out in Samaria uh, to those um, Samaritans. And then we see it again poured out to the Gentiles. We see three times in Acts that there's these specific circumstances. And then as the letters are being written to the church, as things are being discussed, it's it's very clear that at this point, the Holy Spirit is being given. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been filled with the Spirit. And we talk about a filling of the Spirit. Now here's the thing that we have to understand. Can I just tell you something about the filling of the Spirit? Is that you have all of the Spirit, if you are in Christ. The question is, does the Spirit have all of you? See, a filling of the Spirit, I think, has to do more with Him having us and us submitting to Him and giving ourselves over to Him and allowing Him to lead and for Him to guide and for Him to direct. And so that's why I think when we talk about a filling of the Spirit, if we say that that we receive the satisfaction Jesus offers, well, then why are so many of us, maybe this morning, you would check the box as, dissatisfied or unsatisfied? Why do we find ourselves in a place of dissatisfaction if we've been given the Spirit? Well, I think there's a couple things that we see throughout Scripture, but there's things that grieve the Holy Spirit that, that, that squash the work that he's trying to do in that. And so what, 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 what leads to dissatisfaction, I think one of it is idols of the heart. Idols of the heart, things that we chase after See, we're really good at, at producing idols. I've said it before. I think it was uh, C.S. Lewis that said, you know, we're, we're like idol factories. We're constantly cranking out things that we desire, that we give our attention, our, our, our worth, our value to, apart from above and beyond God. We produce idols all the time. It could be the status or the kind of place that you're trying to get to in your, in your place of jo- your job. It could be good things like your family. I've seen people take their family and make it an idol of their heart. It can be um, your home. It can be uh, your stuff. Uh, it can be um, your, uh, I mean, this, this day and age, it can be as many as that like little number as under, under followers on your, on your social media page. I mean, any of those things can, can become and, and are idols of the heart. And what it does is it leads us away from a, uh, the worship, the true worship that we are to have of Jesus. It distracts us. One of the other things that distracts us or dissatisfies us is the weariness of life. See, one of the things that is true is that the life that you and I live here is, is difficult and it's broken. It's, we live in a fallen world. I, I like to remind you of that as your pastor. I think sometimes we, we, we forget that and then we wake up and we read the news or we encounter some situation with a friend and we're like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that happened. Like, are you kidding me? I think we forget, right? We forget it's a broken world. Our world is broken. Like... <laughs> I don't know about you, I've said this before, like maybe you have something f- like broken at your house. If, if you don't do anything to fix it, the next time you go back to it, it's, it like rarely fixes itself. Maybe once in a while, which I would submit maybe wasn't broken to begin with. But you know, once in a while, like something kind of appears to fix itself, but that doesn't really happen too much. If, you, if nothing's been fixed, it's going to continue to be broken. Our world is broken. All right. You're not going to turn on the news tomorrow and find that it's all set right and everything's good. It's a broken world. And so we get weary by that. And that's, to be expected. Jesus said that we would face and and encounter the trials of this world, that there would be suffering here and now. And so if you're experiencing the weariness of life, then that is par for the course. But you have to know that there's a source of life, a source of peace, a source of strength to walk through it that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He wants to satisfy you. He wants to walk with you through it. He wants to give you the encouragement that you need. One of the things that, that... that we feel, uh, I think, dissatisfied in the spirit is distance from the Lord. One of the things that my wife and I try and do each and every year as part of you know the trip that we just took is we have a few extra days that we tack on. well, we'll grandma and grandpa have the kids and we're already um, in a warmer place and we try and connect for a few days. And that fills in and feeds into our marriage. You see, our marriage needs that. We need time to connect. We need time to, um, to remember how much we enjoy each other. Like, I tell, I, I, I just told her the other day, I'm like, I love hanging out with you. You're my best friend. Like, I, I, I'm married to my best friend. And, 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 but, but that, a friendship is not, it's not like a coworker situation. It's not this kind of working thing. Like, we've gotta spend time together and enjoy things together and interact together and pour into each other together. Like, there's things that we do that that, that time and energy spent increases the relationship that we have together. Without it, the relationship drifts. Our relationship with the Lord is no different. We need to invest in it and spend time with our Savior, to spend time with God, to hear from him, to learn about him, to, to reflect on him. I mean, all of that is part of the relationship that we have. And so if you feel dis, dissatisfied or unsatisfied in the spirit, I would just question, has the Lord been, have you been distant from the Lord? Like, have you, have you taken time to just be with him to spend time in, in his creation, to, to speak with him, to, to study and reflect on his word. I mean, all of these things help us. They're not uh, means to an end, but they, they are things that, that God has given us so that we can interact with him and spend time with him. Fourth, there's others we could put on this list, but, but maybe it's this. Maybe it's what this very passage is getting at. Maybe it's a miscalculation of Jesus. Maybe the reason that we're dissatisfied is we, we have a small, view, a small view of Jesus, we don't recognize him for how big he is, how great he is, how kind he is, how gracious he is, how present he is, how wise he is, how concerned he is. Maybe we've miscalculated who this Jesus is and we've sort of imported our expectations or our desires on him and we've, we've missed it. And so, Jesus gives this great proclamation and can you imagine being there? I mean, the people, this is an incredible ceremony that's happening and he proclaims, hey, what you all are looking for, I have right here. If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The same invitation is given to you today. If you are thirsty this morning, if you are dissatisfied, would you come to Jesus and drink? Would you receive his indwelling work of the Spirit upon your life and would you Understand just how much you are cared for, loved, and the way that God is at work in you. This is the invitation that he's given. And so what we see here is we recognize the truth of who Jesus is. We receive the satisfaction that Jesus offers. Thirdly, we respond to the claims that Jesus made. He made some claims in his time. And how are we responding to these claims? It's a huge part of this, right? What did we say? We said, uh, our response to Jesus is key in our being able to receive the life that he offers. How did the people respond? Well, verse 40, we see, again, more division. Every time the true nature of Jesus is revealed, it results in the division of the people. I think that's still true today. Every time the true nature of Jesus is seen, it, it results in division of people. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this is really the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is Christ to come from Galilee? Or basically like, is this, this is just a guy. right? He came from Galilee. He's nothing special. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Such a curious question, right? They didn't take the time to even figure out who Jesus was and where he had been born. The very question they're asking, like, isn't he supposed to be born of David? Isn't he supposed to be born of Bethlehem? It's like, hey, uh, everyone reading this, John's gospel later would have known that this was true. So they're seeing kind of the ignorance of the question, but he was of the lineage of David. He was born in Bethlehem. So their questions are right, but they're, they're, they're wrong in the answers. But then look what happens. Verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, the ones who they were sent, right? They sent these official officers to them who said to them, why did you not bring him? They come back, no Jesus. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Like they went to arrest him and they're like, how how do we arrest this guy? I've never heard anything like this. Never done anything. You have to understand, like, the the, the officials, the officers would have been themselves Levites. These weren't just, like, sort of the hired grunt, like, sort of, you know, brute force sort of going. When they went to arrest Jesus, they actually listened to him before they arrested him. And they're like, man, I'm hearing something I've never heard before. How could we possibly arrest this man? And so the Pharisees were furious. They said, have you been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? They're like, don't tell me, like, at the highest level that we're starting to fall here. But this crowd does not know that the law is accursed. Nicodemus, remember him from chapter three? He's the one that came to Jesus in the night. Part of the Sanhedrin, it says uh, he came, he was one of them and he said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? It's like, isn't there some sort of trial or, or don't we need to at least hear him out? And they attack him. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You see, what we see here is is this this failure to respond to the claims that Jesus made. And some are responding with belief. Others are responding with, um, uh, with, with fighting it, with trying to squash him, with trying to arrest him, with trying to kill him. And the question is, I mean, the claims still stand. Like the things that Jesus said are still out there. And so my question for us this morning is how are we responding to the claims that Jesus made? I love that phrase about there's no one who ever spoke like him. See, one thing you have to understand is that there is no other way to life. I would be remiss if, if I didn't tell you that, if I wasn't clear about that. Like if you're looking for another savior, if you're looking for option B, if you think that there's some other way to find life, I just wanna tell you, like the words of Christ, the words of scripture are clear. There is no other way. We're gonna encounter these words in, 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 a, in a month or two, but, but um, maybe longer, I, I forget uh, how many weeks we have. But uh, Jesus said this, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's a very exclusive claim. And so how are we responding to the claims that Jesus made. Listen, sometimes we get so caught up in the fact that there's one way that we miss the fact that there is a way. None of us deserve the way that Jesus came. All of us are guilty of our sin, our separation. The things that we've done have separated us from our Lord and Savior. But Jesus came to pay the price to purchase our salvation through his perfect life and through his sacrificial death on the cross. He made a way and it is the way so my question is, have you received it? Have you believed in it? Have you, have you accepted the gift that Jesus is holding out to you and the life that he has for you? And as we've talked about many times before, I think it even came up last week, is that it's not just about, what the work that Jesus is trying to do is not just a work of salvation. It's also a work of sanctification and glorification. Like he is, he is working in you. And so if you are, still have breath in your lungs, then he is not done working on you. He is still working. He is still changing, shaping, growing, perfecting. He is working on you. And so this morning, I don't know what you carried in. I don't know if you had the best week or the worst week or just kind of a week, whatever it may have been. The thing is, is that Jesus is the life that we need. And he sustains our Monday through our Friday our Saturdays and our Sundays. He is the life. And the claims that he made, what he was saying here, he was trying to impact the people. And we're gonna see this continues to get played out. Like, what are we gonna do with Jesus? What are we gonna do with Jesus? And I would just, I would encourage you, if you have not yet made the decision of what are you going to do with Jesus, the the invitation is that you would receive him as Savior, that you would follow him as Lord that you would believe in him and that you would find life in his name. That is an invitation given to all of us. And this is so good for us because if you have already made the decision to follow, to receive, to trust in him as Lord, then we need to continue to believe that, continue to follow after him, continue to look to him for the life that he has for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Father, you you made a way through the cross. God, it was through the death and through the resurrection that we are forgiven and that we uh, receive life. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning, I ask you this morning, God, that you would remind us of the truth of your word. Remind us of the life that's found, Lord, that we would handle you rightly, that we would answer the question rightly. Lord, what are we to do with you? Lord, you are to be followed. You are to be worshiped. God, you are to be loved. And so we ask, God, that you would uh, just remind us of that today, Lord, that you would help us to respond with that today. Um, God, uh, I pray that you would move in our hearts to bring us to that place of, 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 of worship, God, of recognition, of response. God, would you do this? We ask in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.